0: few points of contention to make. First, this is not a pink shirt. (laughs) It is salmon. As many of you have remarked, it is not pink. I just want to correct that before we go. And my wife picked it out. It's salmon. That was our compromise. (laughs) Salmon. Okay? That's the first thing. (laughs) The second, the second. Uh, I did want to mention both Teresa and Michaela have expressed their desire to covenant with our church, having followed the Lord Jesus Christ by faith alone and obeyed him in following in baptism, they so have expressed to covenant with us as a church body to fulfill the one another's of Scripture. So all who are willing to accept our members, Miss Teresa and Brother Michaela, as covenant members of Kahului Baptist Church, let it be known by an "I." Any opposed? All right, we don't have to have a flogging. So welcome, family. Please love on them after services or during, if you should so please. Uh, Paul referred to the church at Philippi as his joy and his crown. And I just want you guys to know, as I've been uh, praying over this service for some time now, Uh, I truly do believe that, one, you guys are my family, and I really look forward to worshiping with you and serving you and you guys serving alongside with me. You are my joy and my crown. And we are together being knit in Christ as a temple to the glory of God. And that's one of the things we remember about the works of Christ this Easter is that together, together... We are one in Christ. And so if you're joining us from here on tourism or vacation or anniversaries, and you are a brother and sister in the Lord, we welcome you here on this special Easter Sunday. So let's go ahead and pray, and we're going to get rolling. Father, We come before you and we ask for a vision, just just a glimpse of your glory in Christ this morning. Lord, you change lives and you satisfy us not with the goods of the world, but with your very self you offered up on the cross. And you rose again three days later You conquered death, you killed, you severed the root of sin. So Lord, help us to have a a peek at your majesty. And Lord, that lives would be changed by this. Lord, would you have a more full manifestation of your Holy Spirit this morning? There are some here, Father, that have, have not spoken to you in the name of Jesus ever in their entire lives. There are some who have wandered away from the faith in here, and you've brought them here, and you are seeking them in love, Father. You long to have a relationship with them, Father. Would you create faith this morning where I cannot work through my weakness so that your power may be exalted, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians, if you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Taylor Kamakaviva Ole at the Sunrise Service, he is a member of Maui Philippine Baptist. He preached and he said this morning, he said, Easter is a lot like the Super Bowl of Christianity. It is the apex, as we remember the resurrection. It is not only the apex of history, but it will be the apex of eternity. For eternity, we will praise the Lamb who was slain. Easter is the goal of Christmas. And so, when it's concerning Christians, we celebrate Easter. We we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We don't celebrate a pagan holiday I understand it may have roots with the date in paganism. I understand that. I also understand we don't celebrate and worship Easter bunnies, and bunnies don't even lay eggs, right? So it just, we're not ignorant, okay? We don't celebrate Easter eggs or Easter bunnies. At the end of the day, we may participate in an egg hunt, and it doesn't dishonor God. Why? Because who made bunnies? God made bunnies. Okay, this is simple elementary truths. Who made eggs? God made eggs. Who made all things? God made all things. And so we may use and consecrate all things to the praise and honor and glory of King Jesus. So that's what we do. What we're going to do? We're going to worship him with everything we have, all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, all of our creativity as made in his image and likeness. We just want to worship him this morning as we focus on the pinnacle, the apex of history, the resurrection of Jesus. Good Friday we spoke about christ being the propitiation for our sins those who are here you should be able to now explain propitiation at least using a balloon if you were here if you weren't here you just got to wait till next good friday or look it up but this this sunday morning i want to talk about the resurrection of course why is the resurrection so important? What are its effects? How does it apply to you today? And I hope, I hope that from examining a few things in 1 Corinthians 15, we'll see that. First thing to know is this book, Corinthians. It is a letter written to this place, this church in Corinth. The good news about the church in Corinth is they were really messed up people. There was people in the church, like, sleeping with his dad's wife and just all sorts of rampant wickedness and just gross, and Paul just rebukes them. But even in the midst of the rebuke, he says, you were washed, though. You were justified. You were sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so the good news is that wherever you're at, Wherever you're at today, you might be a broken person, you might just be doing some other form of wickedness that only you know. The good news is that you're not too far gone. No sinner is too far gone outside of the saving reach of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Corinth was a messed up place and Paul wrote this letter to them to encourage them in the gospel, to teach them how they ought to conduct themselves, to remind them of the fact that they were washed. That is not who you are anymore. As Uncle Bill Staten testified, once he was a certain way and God took him from the kingdom of darkness and placed him in the kingdom of light. He's a different person. As is the same for all of us. Once we were blind, but now we see. So Paul reminds them of these great truths. It's also important to note that this letter, 1 Corinthians, was written before any of the four Gospels. So Paul pinned this, and as of yet, Paul could not turn to the Gospel of Matthew at that time and read what Matthew had to say about Jesus. He couldn't turn to the book of Mark, he couldn't turn to the book of Luke, he couldn't turn to the book of John, because they had not been written yet. And what's significant about that is that means that chapter 15 on the resurrection is probably one of the earliest accounts of the teachings of the early church concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so for that, it holds great significance. Now, our passage today is almost exclusively concerning the resurrection of Jesus, the gospel the tenets of the gospel. We're going to find ourselves in verse 12 through 22. And here's going to be the big idea. Here's the big idea for you. If you're a note taker, uh, here's my sermon title, No Resurrection, No Reward. No Resurrection, No Reward. And here's the big idea of the passage. Because Jesus has prevailed, his people will not perish. Simple. Simple. Simple this morning, because Jesus has prevailed, his people will not perish. And so I'm going to present to you from this short passage of scripture, what's at stake in the resurrection? Why is this so important? What's at stake? How does it affect your life today, last year, tomorrow, and for the rest of your days on earth? We have at least seven things, seven things that are at stake from this passage, seven. And then we'll examine those seven things and we'll give some more thoughts or observations for you to take home with you, hopefully Monday morning after Easter said and done to hit the ground running with, maybe even today. So what's at stake? Number one. Let's read the passage. Verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, check this out, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sin. And those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But, you love that word but in the scriptures? But, in fact, Christ has been raised, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, Adam, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die... So in Christ all shall be made alive. Number one. Number one. What's at stake in the resurrection? If there is no resurrection, verse 12 and 13, there's no Jesus. Why don't we remember this resurrection thing? If there's no resurrection, there's no Jesus. Brothers and sisters, check this out. Do you find it hard to believe that a man died, flatline, three days in a tomb after he had been beaten beyond recognition. His back was likely just, if we get into the goriness of it, just leather, just strands of skin and flesh. Flesh and blood and arteries and veins and intestines and organs. Likely all of it could be seen. Rib cage ripped out, beard plucked out. Do you find it hard to believe that a man who died after being nailed to a cross and beaten and sealed in a tomb for three days came back to life? Is that fantastical? Is it like believing in the Easter bunny, maybe, or the tooth fairy? You find it hard to believe. Let's just be honest. Sometimes, yeah. And we might be tempted to think, well, maybe if I was alive in that day, it would be easier for me to believe. No absolutely not. They had just, that's why Paul writes this. How can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? Let's not even talk about Jesus yet, just the resurrection of the dead. The first century hearers of this message of Jesus found it no easier to believe that a man rose from the dead, Jew or Gentile, than we do today. That's why Even if it did happen, it was a stumbling block to the Jews. Wait, if he rose from the dead, why would God allow the Messiah to be crucified? This is what the Muslims say today. It's a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. (laughs) When Paul mentioned the resurrection from the dead in Acts chapter 17, they began to scoff and mock him. (laughs) resurrection. Brothers and sisters, it has never been easy for the carnal fleshly mind to comprehend that a man rose from the dead. Even Jewish people who had the law of God did not expect one man to rise from the dead. And so you see the response of Mary and Martha. Yes, Lord, I know he will rise again at the last day. They expected a resurrection of everybody at the last day. Some of them But it was not easy by any means for them to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. It was foolishness. Like many of you might think, this is foolishness. It's never been easy. In fact, it's been impossible apart from the Holy Spirit and the working of God in your heart to believe. Not only was it difficult to believe, it came at great cost to believe it. You would lose everything. You would identify with this group of weirdos and just lose everything. You'd be beaten, persecuted, tortured. You name it. It happened to them. So it's never been easy to believe. But if there's no resurrection, that's exactly Paul's argument. If there's no resurrection, then there's no Jesus. Jesus is dead And then he starts to, with a series of if-then statements, he starts to extrapolate implications of the fact that if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. Number two, verse 14. If, in fact, the dead are not raised and Christ is not raised, then our preaching is in vain. Pointless. This whole exercise, this is a waste of time. It's vanity if Jesus has not been raised from the dead. It's a waste of effort, a waste of energy. My words are empty, devoid of power and of meaning, at best only pulling on the heartstrings of your emotions, but incapable of affecting true change if the dead are not raised. What does it look like to preach in vain? What does it look like? What does it look like to do anything in vain? Let me give you an example. My wife would probably tell you to do something in vain would be trying to keep the house clean with a two-year-old toddler, a two-month-old baby, and a 28-year-old husband. Right? Vanity, vanity. All is vanity. Her efforts may feel useless, for as soon as our son walks in and sees something organized and orderly, what's he going to do? Go destroy something else now. (laughs) Vanity, all of your efforts are useless. Or, more parallel, preaching or sending a message in vain. We've all done this, probably speaking English to a person who doesn't understand English. And so, what do you do? You raise your voice louder as if that will help. Where's the bathroom? Where where's the bath? <laughs> We've all done this. Doesn't matter how loud you speak or how many words you say, it doesn't matter you're efforts are vain because it's a waste of time. They don't understand what you're saying. And so what Paul's saying here is if there's no resurrection, it's like trying to speak to people in the wrong language. It's empty and useless because the language of the New Testament is distinctly resurrection language. All of the apostles' teachings and actions in the book of Acts are pointing to one central event. They saw Jesus alive. It changed them. It changed them. If there's no resurrection in our preaching, my preaching, your preaching, your testimonies are in vain. Number three, there's no resurrection, then your faith is also in vain. It's powerless, empty, fruitless. Paul uses a different word here. In other words, you're trusting in something that is not able to deliver. This would be as if you decide, I'm going to go skydiving, and instead of wearing a parachute, I'm going to take an umbrella like Mary Poppins. Your faith is in vain. That umbrella will fail you. Brothers and sisters, if there is no resurrection, then your faith is powerless, just like that umbrella to save you. Number four, if there is no resurrection, then we are found to be misrepresenting God. There is no resurrection. I am found to be a liar. That word is a pseudo-false witness. I am a false witness. What do we call a false witness in a court of law in Maui or in America? Whenever they are under oath and they make a false statement. What is that called? Perjury. And I think, if I remember right, that is a felony. Even in American courts, human courts, To misrepresent anybody is a felony. How much more to misrepresent God himself? A false witness. You would have to ask yourself a question. Why would a bunch of men who couldn't even stand with Jesus when he was being arrested, who ran away from him, who scattered, who denied even a a young girl's questioning, about their associations with him, Peter? Why would they lie about seeing Jesus alive when it costs them countless beatings and torture, persecution and death, a violent death for most of them? Why would they lie? What did they have to gain? They had nothing to gain. Everything, worldly speaking, to lose. We're found to be false witnesses if there's no resurrection. Number five, if there's no resurrection, there's no forgiveness of sins. Not only are you a liar and wasting your time and effort and energy, you are not forgiven of your sins if there's no resurrection. How does that work? How is the resurrection tied to our forgiveness of sins? Why is that the case? Jesus died. He shed his blood. If he didn't rise from the dead, why would I still not be forgiven? He still sacrificed himself. Why wouldn't it count? Romans 4.25 says this, Jesus, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification... He was raised for our justification. Here's what that means. It means that his resurrection, you guys remember that propitiation word, was a wrath-bearing sacrifice. It means that when Jesus died, when he rose again, it meant that he drank the full cup of God's wrath to the last drop. He paid the penalty for your sin in full. For example... If you were to park in a handicapped parking stall without a handicapped placard, your fine would be roughly upwards of $500. If you paid $450, your fine, your penalty, would not be paid in full. But if you pay the full amount, then you are no longer under guilt or obligation to the court. You are free. When Christ rose again it was god saying that he paid every last drop of your penalty for sin he was totally consumed and totally accepted and so when god raised him from the dead he was raised for our justification we are declared righteous Number six, no resurrection. If there's no resurrection, then that means the dead have perished. They have perished. That means everybody who's fallen asleep trusting in Jesus perished. They didn't take out that life insurance policy because whatever perished doesn't matter anymore. It perished. That means that John 3.16 is a lie. For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him shall not Perished. That means Jesus is a liar. That means everything he said is a liar. He's a lie. If there's no dead, no resurrection from the dead, the dead have perished. Number seven, the final conclusion, then if all this is true, if there is no resurrection of Jesus from the dead, that means, Paul says in First 19, Christians are of all people most to be pitied. Think about that. Christians are of all people most to be pitied. There's a line of reasoning, some of you have probably heard this before. There's a line of reasoning that says, hey, you know what? You don't believe in Jesus, my friend Jim. I don't know if there's any Jims in here. I don't know. I'm not talking about you if your name is Jim. So, random Jim, Jim Doe. Jim. You know, I know you don't believe in Jesus, but brother, I want you to trust in Jesus and he will change your life and you can just follow him and do whatever he says. And if, if I'm wrong about this, at worst, all you've done is you've lived a really good life. You haven't lost anything. You haven't suffered. Like, you've lived a really good life. So why not? What do you have to lose? Because if you're wrong, then you go to hell forever and ever. So why not just follow Jesus, trust Jesus, and You'll be a pretty good person even at the end of your life. You'll be a respectable person even if we're wrong. You got nothing to lose. That's not Paul's rationale here. It's not Paul's rationale here. Because Paul says if there's no resurrection of Christ from the dead, then we are of all people most to be pitied. We're pathetic. Why? Because the cost, anybody who knows this, who's followed Jesus, who is forsaken, who's turned from your sin and turned to Christ, you know this, the cost of following Jesus is high. Jesus is not kidding when he said, whosoever would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The cost of following Jesus is incredibly high high, it will cost you your life and everything else that you value. That's why Jesus would make statements like this. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and narrow is the path that leads to life, and few there be that find it. Brothers and sisters, the way to destruction is broad and easy. The way to life is narrow and hard. And Jesus says, if you take the hard road, it'll be worth it. But it's going to cost. It's going to cost. And so Paul says, if there's no resurrection, there's no reward. We are of all people most to be pitied. So... Those are the seven implications that we've drawn. So, the next verse is where we get into the good news, though, about the resurrection. The next verse is that three-letter word that starts with a B. But. But. But what? Christ has been raised. Amen! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Let the Pentecostal out in you this morning, Baptists, amen. Amen. That's it. Christ has been raised, which that means this. This is what this means, brothers and sisters. That means all of it's flipped around on its head. This is what this means. That means my preaching isn't in vain. It's not pointless. It's powerful. It's crucial. The good news of Jesus Christ is the only reason why language exists, that it might be spread and extolled. These words are not empty words, they are words of your very life. Bank your hope on them. It is the only words capable of bringing life to your soul. You feel dry inside, you feel like everything you've tried just doesn't satisfy, it's because it never will. It never will. Only the words of the gospel and Jesus Christ will satisfy you. That you are a sinner. That Jesus, not a mere man, the Word, God made flesh, came and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And that light, Jesus, the light of the world, came and died and got snuffed out, but yet he came back three days later bearing the pain and penalty for sinners. So that Everybody, everybody, without respect of race or ethnicity or social class or social status or orientation, all people everywhere are called to what? Repent, repent, turn from your futile way of life and trust in Jesus. That is the only, only word that will give you life. Christian and non-Christian Christian Christian, the day you turn away from those words of very life your soul will shrivel up and die and I wholeheartedly believe in eternal security I wholeheartedly believe in the perseverance of the saints but brothers don't ignore the warning in 1 Corinthians 15 1-3 read it later if you remain steadfast in the gospel which you have heard. Don't turn away. It's the only word that can give you life. Christ has been risen. Your faith, my faith, is not in vain. It's not in vain. You can trust Jesus. Your hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Your trust is built on the rock of Christ, not the shifting sands of the world. And brothers and sisters, it will bear fruit one day. It'll bear fruit now. But one day, Paul will go on in the rest of the chapter and say, a trumpet is going to sound. And in a moment and the twinkling of an eye can be changed. Your faith is not in vain. It is not jumping out of a plane with an umbrella. You have a massive parachute that will never fail. It means our witness. It means I am not a liar. It means you are not a liar when you say God in Christ Jesus died and he died that he might bring you back to God. You are not lying when you say this. Our witness is true. The witness to the risen Lord Jesus Christ is more reliable than your ID card. It's more reliable than your ID card is to prove who you are. It's more reliable than your birth certificate as proof of your identity. The identity and witness of the risen Jesus is the most absolute truth in the universe. It is the most absolute truth in the universe that enables us to know absolute truth, absolutely. But Christ has been raised which means you are not in your sins. You are not in your sins any longer. They have been taken away as far as the e- As far as the east is from the west, so far have your sins been removed from you, never to be seen again. Do you serve time in prison? Maybe you have a conviction that might not go off your record for a long time, humanly speaking. Brothers and sisters, washed, washed away. Completely, though your sins were as crimson, yet they shall be white like wool. You have peace with God. The dead have not perished, and they will not perish. Death has no sting, and far from robbing us of all joy, it is now actually the doorway through which we pass to ultimate joy. Where's your sting, death? Where is it? It's gone. It's been defanged. Death is no enemy for 147 Kenyan Christians just murdered. Death is not their enemy. Last but not least, if Christ has been raised, we are not to be pitied. Just the opposite of true. If Christ has been raised, Christian, you are not to be pitied. Non-Christian, you are to be pitied. Your estate is pitiable before God because you are spending your life and wasting it. He created you to have a relationship with him. He created you in his image and likeness. His very creation, he looked at you above all things and said it is very good. He created you to reflect his glory and you are squandering it for that which does not satisfy. It's a pitiable state to be created for one purpose and not ever be able to fulfill it because you're doing other things. We're the least pitiable people on the planet, and it doesn't matter what cars we drive or what's in our bank account or what kind of houses we have, because in Christ we have everything, and our reward is infinitely satisfying the cost of following jesus is high but the reward is incomparable joy life presence of god forevermore so what are a few things to observe in closing practically speaking how how do these things affect you're like yeah i've been kind of in the concrete and not concrete, abstract. I I hear what you're saying, but what, what does that look like for me today? Here's a few things for you. The resurrection means we will all rise from the dead and give an account to God. Practically speaking, you will rise and you will give an account for God, to God, for your life. He is the judge of all the earth, the scripture says. Brothers and sisters, look at your own life. Some of you, actually all of us, wouldn't even stand not guilty in the court human courts. Taguma got me, right? How many of you can say that? You're not even guiltless in human courts much less in a divine court where God who sees all things and knows all things perfectly is absolutely holy is judging. You will give an account. I think you know this inherently. There's something inside of you. God created you with this truth inside of you. You can deny it. You can reject it. You can shut your eyes to it, but you know at the end of the day when you do something wrong, you feel bad about it. You might not even know why. You have this reflex in you that when you see evil, you move back from it. That is God's creation in you. He he made you in his image and likeness, and you are reacting with his image. Even though it's tainted and marred, you know that one day you will stand and give a reckoning. Brothers and sisters, when you stand on that day, what are you going to bank your hope on? What are you going to say? I was a good person. I did good most of the time. You know this isn't true. Brothers and sisters, Jesus died for sinners. You've broken God's law. He died for people who broke God's law. And he offers you mercy, free mercy, free grace. Not based off what you do, based off who he is. He is rich in mercy and love. He offers it to you by faith if you will turn from your ways and trust in him. Number two. Number one, you will all give an account to God. Number two. The resurrection means that when you exercise faith in Jesus, his death for your sin means you are set free from sin. You're set free from it. You don't have to obey its passions any longer. You are not enslaved to its will and desire. Romans 6.11, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Now, very practically speaking, what do you struggle? Christian, we all have these struggles. What is it? Is it? Maybe you, just, maybe you love sleep. Maybe you love comfort. Maybe you love whatever it is. You know what it is. Fight it. Once upon a time, your efforts were in vain, but now because Christ has conquered, you may conquer that sin in the grace and power of God. I encourage you, whatever it is, memorize this scripture. Romans 6, 11. Write it down. Hide it in your heart. Remind yourself, consider myself, I'm dead to this. That's not who I am anymore. Jesus died for that sin and he took it away. And I can live and honor Christ. That means Christian for the Christian. The words I can't pertaining to actions that dishonor God should not be in our vocabulary. In Christ. We can. He has done. Number three, the resurrection means this world is not our home. It means this world is not our home. Our bodies will pass away, the Bible says, like grass, like the flower of grass. We will pass away from this planet. What does that mean for how we ought to spend the majority of our time? Before I moved to Maui, I lived on Oahu. And Oahu, man, I thought it was cool, but when I came here, I was just like, oh, I can't ever go back. That just it's too much. It's too much. The traffic just kills, right? But before I moved to Maui from Oahu, and I found out I got the job over here to move to work for the Maui Police Department, my mind began to do a switch. As soon as I found out I was moving here, I started all of my efforts and energies increasingly became, as I came closer to my departure date, became focused less on my life on Oahu and more on my life on Maui. So I'm looking for apartments and calling people and saving up for a down payment for this little junk apartment over and uh, across from the YMCA with roaches everywhere and stuff like that, but I was saving up all of my efforts, packing up boxes and all my free time is just doing stuff to get ready for my home that I am going to. And as the day drew closer, all of my energies became wrapped around that. As I was leaving my current home and going elsewhere, brothers and sisters, we seek a city whose builder and maker is God. This world is not our home. We are pilgrims. And in like manner, Jesus says, this is the last hour. This is the last lap, the final quarter. How much more, if the the resurrection of the dead is true, ought we to spend all of our time in preparation for our eternal home? Doesn't this give perspective to our possessions? Doesn't this give perspective to our professions, to our jobs, to how we view everything in life, my home is not 374 South Lanai Street. My home is with Christ, where Christ is. And to the degree that it is not my home, it is not my place of residence to say, ultimately, I'm going to protect this as if it is mine forever. It is to be used for the glory of Christ, and as is every single one of your homes, your cars, your possessions, these things hold no value. The resurrection means Monday morning has meaning. Paul's going to conclude this whole chapter and he's going to say, therefore be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The resurrection means when you go to work tomorrow, you actually have a purpose more than just making a paycheck so you can pay your mortgage and your bills. Your labor in the Lord, whatever you do, Your labor in the Lord, if it's in the Lord and for the glory of Christ, with that eye on the heavenly home, is not a waste of time. Most of us, most of us want to live our lives and know at the end of it, we didn't waste it. Isn't that the worst feeling? To feel like, man, to look back over chunks of your life and just feel like, that just totally squandered that time. Maybe you look back over chunks of life with your spouse, and man, I just the way I treated you I was just such a but. I just squandered, or maybe the way you treated your children—you just totally took them for granted. And you never get that time back, and you just feel like you wasted it. Brothers and sisters, the resurrection means that your life today, no matter how much you squandered, when you live it for the Lord and for His glory, is not in vain. It's a purpose. but it requires you to labor for the glory of Christ. So what do you labor for? What do you labor for? What do you start with your life choices? Are you in high school? The resurrection means that the most important decision you have before you isn't where you're going to go to college or your GPA. The resurrection means that You will look beyond where you will go to college because you will spend eternity with Christ or somewhere. And rather than just moving from big decision to big decision, oh, I want to go to college here. Okay, well, I'm going to meet this girl now. I, I kind of like her. I think we'll get married. Okay, I think it's, I think it's time to have children. And, and then, okay, I think I'm going to start planning for retirement and buy a house. And we move kind of purposelessness in our lives. We have no kind of direction or aim. Brothers and sisters, the resurrection gives you a laser focus. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated and work backwards from there. Is this decision, is this college going to maximize my effectiveness for the kingdom of Christ? Yes or no should be the primary action. Is this job going to maximize my ability to serve King Jesus is the primary decision, more than its salary, more than its location, more than its hours. Is this male or female that I kind of have these nice, warm, fuzzy feelings for? Is she walking with Jesus? Does she love Jesus? Not how does she make me feel. See, the resurrection changes everything. All of your decisions. Your efforts are not in vain, brothers and sisters, when they are done for the Lord, which means even the most menial task done for Christ Will be rewarded. So, what's the big idea? The big idea is that because Jesus has prevailed, his people will not perish. Brothers and sisters, live fearless, live laser focused this Easter. Remember all that Christ has done for you at the cross, and he now lives for your justification and life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that the dead are raised and that you are alive and that we are not in our sins and that all of our efforts are not a waste, but in fact, all of them point to a greater joy in Christ. Life forevermore. Joy, peace, hope, love, your presence. Lord, I pray if there are any here who don't know you, Father may they turn from their ways knowing that they will give an account to you one day. May they turn from their ways and trust Jesus to be their all-satisfying source in this life. Would you do this now for your name and your glory I pray. Amen. Now is going to be